It's Attackus Fiber Internet Football Friday on Sports Radio 610. Here's Payne and Pendergast. All right, attacking the Colts defense with C.J. Stroud. Colts play a lot of zone. They don't blitz very much at all. Here was Dan Orlovsky yesterday on ESPN saying these are the two things C.J. Stroud needs to do against that Indianapolis defense. And talking about like the zone coverage, CJ's going to have these short completions. Why do defenses play zone? They're going to give you completions because, one, they think at some point you're going to hold it too long and a sack is going to happen. Or, two, you'll have an offensive penalty that's going to set you back. Right. Or, three, you'll force the ball. You'll lack patience. So two things are going to be needed. Number one, they're going to have to hit some of those play actions that I just showed. Two, they don't care about yardage, zone defenses. They think at some point you're going to get into the red zone. I don't care if you kick six field goals, score six times. They, they want you to be d- down in the red zone, um, a lesser player. C.J. holds the ball in the red zone more than any quarterback in the NFL. Wow. He's going to have to because he's going to have to make some plays that equal touchdowns and not just take completions just to get field goals. Yeah, and um, I mean, a lot of that has to do, honestly, with the fact that their run game has vastly improved, the Texans, but it's it, when you really, really need it in crunch time, do you have the guys up front that can be road graders and move guys out of the way um, or genuinely threaten in the run? They don't. So because of that, teams are able to – they're not going to get duped. They're not going to get – they don't, they're not so terrified of the run that they're going to get duped and let the tight end out scot-free the way you see a lot of times. That's a, the, maybe the best, best, best thing for still having a really good run game in the NFL, despite how much you might not think the run game matters, is that when you get down to the red zone, defenses are, are terrified of you know letting the easy touchdown, and that's when tight ends run free. They just get complete released into the wild. So I... I don't know if the Texans are going to do something to change that all of a sudden in the last game of the season. As far as their red zone offense, I think some people have the perception that it's like the worst red zone offense in the league or something. They're right in the middle of the pack. They're like 16th or 17th in red zone scoring. It just feels worse sometimes because they're so effective at moving the ball in that, in that middle 60 yards they get down inside the 20 and it feels like hey what the hell happened you know you get that you 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 get you get stopped short when all of a sudden your leash gets yanked from behind it feels a lot worse than if you just uh if you just never never get out in front of the leash at all so I think that I'm not overly concerned about it I think Orlovsky does a good job of you know painting it like if they don't do that they're just sol and done for it's more that look you're facing a defense that's not that great. The Colts are just, they're an okay defense, um, and you're an okay red zone offense. Mm-hmm. It's just, it would be awesome if this run game would take that next step and be one that can function for you down in the red zone. Yeah, that, yeah red zone's a big concern for me. I'll tell you my biggest concern, Seth, with this game is that, I, look, I think the Texans have the, the better quarterback in this game, considerably better. Um, but I think the biggest mismatch in this game, if we're looking at matchups in this game, I think the biggest mismatch might belong to the Colts, and that's their defensive interior uh, yeah. against the Texans' interior <sighs> offensive line. Like, that's yeah. that's a problem. Grover Stewart have, uh, yeah. and DeForest Buckner against Scruggs, Dieter, Shaq Mason. Problem. And again, that's why, honestly, you go back to, okay, is Juice Scruggs that much improved from when he ended up getting C.J. Stroud concussed by Quentin Williams? No, he's not. 
he's still got issues in pass protection as a guard. I'm still optimistic about Juice Scruggs as a center, but man, it's becoming more and more apparent that guard is not the position for him. So just as it was last week, I think you're going to use a fullback a lot. I honestly prefer that it would be Brevin Jordan a lot of the time because teams have to respect him as a receiver more mm-hmm. than they do Andrew Beck. Andrew, if Andrew Beck gets open, it's because people forget to cover him or they're more concerned about things downfield, whereas Brevin Jordan can get open like a tight end can get open more often. So I think it's a matter of keeping more bodies in the box and learning how to run and then set up play action with all of that because those two defensive tackles, Grover Stewart and, and Buckner, Brentson, uh, and Buckner, are just they're they're just physically better than the Texans interior offensive linemen. It's the biggest mismatch on the field. Yeah, do do the Texans have anything for them defensively that even approaches that against the Colts offense? Like that Oh, that you feel awesome about? Did you feel good about like that Matt? Like if I'm the Col- if I'm sitting in Indianapolis right now, man, I feel great about the fact that DeForest Buckner and and Grover Stewart might wreck this game for the Texans. Do the Texans yeah. do the Texans have anything like that defensively that 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 Indianapolis should be nervous I, about. The thing is, I would feel really, really good about. I I mean, I feel great about Will Anderson in general. Yeah. The one issue there is that um, is that Braden Smith, their right tackle, came back last week, and it made a big difference for that Colts offensive line. So you've kind of got a strength on a strength there. And look, Will Anderson played 12 snaps last week. Yeah. The, the, the Colts' offensive line is just way better than the Tennessee Titans' offensive line. For those of you, like nobody's been paying attention to the Colts this year. Their offensive line was a huge disappointment last year. All of a sudden this year, they're back to being really, really good again. So I don't think it's as much of an advantage. I think, you know, Will Anderson is very, very good, and I think he's getting better. It's just not as much of a, of a huge mismatch as it is with Grover Stewart and DeForest Buckner in there. Now, now having said all that, the, the, because the Colts don't blitz at all, like they're the lowest blitz rate in the league, it does become easier to scheme for and make up for those issues with your offensive tackles, or offensive linemen on the interior. So, like, that's where I, I think they can scheme for that, but you have to still also be able to run the ball effectively because you're not necessarily, you're not going to have a super efficient passing game when you're keeping extra guys in the block. Um, over under. Would you say Will played 12 snaps last week, right? 12 snaps for Will Anderson? Thereabouts, it, it, yeah. In a blowout. So he didn't play probably for big chunks of the second half. Over under Will Anderson snaps to this game, 20 and a half. Is that an actual number? No, that no, your... that's just my number. Oh, okay. I'm just throwing it out there. In other words, do you – because I think this, I would say, this I would will be a closer no, game yeah. probably. I'm going to say that's an over. I'm guessing they might have had him like – I'm guessing they might have thought, okay, if you can get 50% of the snaps – uh, last week they would have given him 50% of the snaps. Or maybe if they're just putting him in on third downs and obvious passing situations, that works into about maybe half the snaps. So, I would, yeah, I would say the – what did you say, 20 and 20 a half? 20 and a half, yeah. Yeah, I would, I would take the over on that. I, I would too. I think, for one, it's going to be a closer game this this week than it was. I mean, last week was a blowout. And that was a luxury they had last week, Seth, too. They probably saw pretty early on in that game, especially once it got to be 17 nothing. You know, 17 nothing after that ranking scoop and score. And they probably were able to look at it and go, all right, I mean, we literally can play Will just on third and long and probably be okay against this team. You know, like they, they could see, like, okay, this, this the Titans ain't, they, they ain't hanging with us today. You know, that'll so be different Will, on Saturday. Last week he had 12 total snaps. On 12 snaps, he had two sacks and four hurries. So six total quarterback pressures on his 12 snaps. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's, uh, he was pretty efficient. 
<laughs> yeah, and again, I think he can have a good game. It's just that it's not as much of a mismatch. No, you're stepping the, up in as weight it class. Is with the, yeah. As it is with um, as it is on the interior of the Texans' offensive line. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Joe Buck did an interview with our friend Greg Rajon from the Chronicle. Oh yeah, yeah, Joe Buck. If Joe Buck, the this the the scourge of everybody in Houston. Although the the I won't say general consensus, but when I've interacted with people about Joe Buck calling this game this week. There have been a lot of people who have said, I don't mind him on football. I just don't like him on baseball. Yeah. Um, he did an interview. Me, me included. You're, you're yeah. part of those people. Right. I knew that. Um, he said that Joe Buck t- told Greg Rajan that this Texans-Colts game, that the Stephen Kim is the name of the producer for the Monday Night Football crew, and apparently he has a board in his office where they project what their Week 18 assignment is going to be throughout the uh-huh. season. You know, like he, they, they, you know, they, they just week to week they go. It's probably going to be this. It's probably going to be that. Start paying attention to those teams a they, little bit. more. Yeah, they here. start doing it in week four. He says, and they've had Texans Colts as this game basically since the first month of the season. That this would be the game that they thought they would be doing in prime time on Saturday. I don't know if I buy I, that. I don't. I buy it. I think you know. Obviously, we have a skewed perspective, but we thought that it might be that case, just because for one. The Dolphins um, and the Bills were already scheduled for Sunday night. So, like, that's the marquee matchup that you would have predicted. Yeah. And the rest of them didn't didn't necessarily look like they could have had as much. There were were more lopsided matchups, like, uh, that were obviously lopsided from the get-go. That's what we were saying last week. Joe Buck is saying that they've had this circled as the game since, since the first month of the season. That, yeah. that their producer, yeah, and I'm, that's uh, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying we thought the same. We thought the same thing in week four. <laughs> yeah, because if you look at some of the matchups, that just it didn't look okay. The man, which one in week four did you think that at that point did you think Browns? Remember. At that point, did you think Browns Bengals was going to be an intriguing matchup? If you did, you sure as hell didn't think it was going to be because the Browns yeah. were good. No, no, you know? no. I, I, no I'll, be, I'll be totally honest. In week four, I wasn't looking at week eighteen. You know, like I, like, I, I feel like we had a discussion, but whatever. Yeah. In week uh, four, I, yeah, I'm maybe, trying to give you credit for it, but that's fine. Yeah, no, no, credit, I, I, and I don't, don't need credit. the credit yeah. for it. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> it just. Not, my whole point is like, wow, that like that's. I mean, these are two teams that have been up and down. There's 32 teams in the league, and Texans Colts are the one they're circling in Week Four. That's amazing. It was a, a lot of the. It would been. It would have been for the wrong reasons. There were just. If you look at a lot of the matchups, the narratives around this, there was a. There were kind of some dud perceived dud teams. Yeah. Um, right from the get-go, playing perceived good teams, and yeah. a lot of those instances, the perceived good team is now a dud, and vice versa. Yeah, but yeah. I think it just kind of—it's not like a. It wasn't because the Texans Colts was going to be that awesome. It was just I, I don't evenly know. matched. Yeah, yeah. maybe. Um, he has some nice things to say about Houston. Um, they've only done Aikman and Buck have only done four Texans games in their in their careers because they spent most of the time covering the NFC. Um, he says, I think every fan of teams around the NFL are trying to build a franchise winner should be jealous of what's going on in Houston. From the GM to the coach, who we love covering with the 49ers, to nailing the draft, year after year you talk about teams that just come up empty after pushing all the chips to the middle of the table, trying to find the right combo, and the Texans found it. That is so true, man. Like All these teams that try to rebuild go in saying, look, we're going to rebuild and we're going to get draft picks and everything's going to be amazing. And there's like six teams every year that say that to themselves, and like one or two end up actually being good for the next several years. Yeah, and it's all—I mean, it's just such a crapshoot because you, there's just no rhyme or reason to who's going to be a good NFL coach most of the time. And even the guys that are eventually good, sometimes it takes them, 
it's just a matter of okay, are they patched? Are they matched with the right GM? I think you can. I think there's a lot of instances where you have a really smart and competent head coach matched with a really smart and competent GM, but they're just not the right fit for each other. It's just like marriages in real life. You can have two awesome people, but if they're not compatible with each other, you know, then all of a sudden you end up on Inside Edition. Yeah. Because you're yeah. It's <laughs> so that's where the te- the Texans have ended up on Inside Edition. Now now the last two years were different. Like like a whole. They were just treading water with David Colley and Lovey Smith yeah. and trying to iron out a whole lot of lot of dysfunctional issues. But um, this year, it's like yeah, both 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 of the dice came up the right side. Um, some of you Astro fans may not like Joe Buck being the voice of a lot of your great memories with the Astros, but Joe Buck doesn't feel the same way. He says those games, those Astro games, he's calling, they were awesome. He loved being in Houston. He loved sitting in that booth, which is a great booth to be in. He said. I certainly heard it from the fans that would walk underneath the booth from time to time. That's funny. But it's part of the game and all part of being a national guy and not being there rooting for one specific team. People in Texas care, and that place would rock and shake. It was fun to be there right in the center of all, watching them win. So he's got better memories of him doing those games than Astro fans do. Yeah. Joe Buck liked you guys. I, he liked being uh, here. But I don't, I, I don't think – I honestly don't think with Buck it's, it's not the traditional people hate the way – you know, people are convinced that it – and a national announcer hates their team or what have you with Buck. A lot of it is like, he's, um, he detracts from the viewing experience, no matter which game I'm watching, because he will not call a home run. Yeah. Like until it's been known to be a home run for like 17. He just seconds. wants to know Seth. Sometimes he does, but like, I know, I know we'll like, get a spotter or something. It's, it's painful. Like you're sitting there and you're like, wait, why is okay. Everybody in the stands is cheering. Looks like some kid caught the ball. Why has he not announced this home run yet? Uh, it drives you insane. Yep. Or or he'll let it linger, let it linger, let it linger, and like by the time they by the time you see that the outfielder has been standing twenty feet away from the wall waiting for the ball the entire time and it's not a home run. I just don't think he's good at it. Yeah. I don't think he's good at his job when it comes to not compared to the way I feel like he's a good football announcer. Baseball, he detracts from my enjoyment. How much do you think Gardner Minshew has to gain from this game? I mean, we talk a lot about the Texans that have a lot to gain by the primetime stage. Gardner Minshew is a free agent after this year. He's led this team to nine wins. They've overachieved. Um, but his name doesn't often come up as a guy who's on the radar after the season. Is he just is this because this is who he is? He's just sort of a career journeyman, win a few games guy, or does he have a chance to if he makes the playoffs and makes a run? Does he get into that kind of like Kirk Cousins off season conversation? I think the the big question it wouldn't be Kirk Cousins. I think the big question with him is like, okay, is he going to be a like a Ryan Fitzpatrick type where all That's of a, a sudden one. people feel like you know what we might be able to make a we might be able to make a go of it with him. Uh, yeah. Or Terod Taylor, maybe is that like the? I, I think with Fitzpatrick, I felt like people thought there was more upside to him, no matter what his interception issues were or anything like that. Uh, with Tyrod Taylor, I think there was always the athletic side of it. Like no matter what his passing numbers were, he was such a dual threat and like a very like we saw it when he was here. He's just so damn mature like he just like he was like the perfect personality to have as a, a leader of your team that people wanted to talk themselves into him I don't know if they feel that way about Gardner Minshew so but I but I feel like he's definitely in that either placeholder or you know backup plus you know that you, dude, you nailed mentor, it just, perhaps Fitzy you nailed it like I yeah. think that's it I and, and he'll have a chance to do something with this game that Ryan Fitzpatrick never did which is go to the playoffs Ryan Fitzpatrick never played for a playoff team his entire career. Um, so Gardner Minshew, I think Fitzpatrick's the perfect analogy for that. You nailed it. All right, um, 
Payne and Pendergast with you. We'll keep digging into the Colts and the Texans throughout the show. Um, Bill O'Brien, I don't know how it's going to end in New England, but reports coming out yesterday about the Patriots season, kind of a post-mortem here as their season falls into the toilet, that Bill O'Brien was back up to his old tricks when he got up to New England uh, before the season started. We'll tell you what it was next. It's a Tacus Fiber Internet Football Friday on Sports Radio 610. Here's Payne and Pendergast. So there's a story in the Boston Herald that kind of lays out the um, the demise of the New England Patriots this year. And um, there's a lot of reasons, obviously. Like, it's, Bill Belichick's probably not going to be back there next year which means there's probably a lot of other people who won't be back next year. We'll see if Bill O'Brien is one of them. But according to a story in the Boston Herald, Seth, we know that O'Brien was brought in to be New England's OC after the disaster that was the Matt Patricia, Joe Judge, two-headed monster uh, as offensive coordinator in 2022. He was expected, O'Brien, to rejuvenate the Patriots' offense. And according to the Boston Herald, he wanted to start that initiative by bringing in an entirely new coaching staff on the offensive side of the ball. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Andrew Callahan of the Herald, Andrew Callahan and Doug Kayed of the Herald wrote this. According to league sources, some assistants came to believe O'Brien wanted to clean house and build his own offensive staff upon arriving in January, but Belichick denied him. Wait, wait, and real quick, I just want to point out, like, okay, so far it sounds reasonable. I could, like, I could understand somebody saying, like, hey, I'd really like to bring in these guys. They know what I want to do and everything like that. Sounds reasonable. Okay, let's move on. Belichick allowed one hire, Will Lawing, who Texan fans may remember was the tight ends coach here at one time, and he's been with O'Brien since Penn State. Yeah. He replaced ex-tight ends coach Nick Cayley. To onlookers, a clear hierarchy developed with O'Brien and his assistants where there was Lawing, assistant quarterbacks coach Evan Rothstein, and then everybody else. Yeah, yeah. Which, okay, that might still be perception, perhaps, but then the the next part, like uh, like Sean, from my perspective, like okay, guys, like guys get chippy and yeah. uh, you know gossipy about all kinds of stuff when they feel like their guy's not the guy and all that. Um, the part that really starts to sound a lot like Bill O'Brien is this next part, and the part that really could be detrimental. Yeah, real detrimental. Well, and just let me just to to wrap up that previous point. According to a source inside the building, that the staff dynamic is complete expletive. Right now. Um, yeah. So with, with with coaches he reportedly didn't prefer around him, O'Brien took arguably detrimental ownership of the offense as a whole. Man, Texan fans, have you heard this story before? O'Brien pulled the offense closer to him, running more unit meetings, which involve all the offensive players, than Belichick and Patricia had had the year before. Consequently, positional meetings became scarce which limited individual time shared between players and their position coaches. Most everything flowed through O'Brien. So the bottom line was, if I'm reading this correctly, Seth, O'Brien went to largely just meetings of the entire offense, right? And right. very few breakout meetings with position groups because he, uh, in like, I, the way I would read that is because he didn't trust the assistant coaches to coach what needed to be coached, Dude. because because King Bill has got to everybody needs to be touched by his genius. Right, everything has to be. Everything they need to be sure that this brilliant, brilliant method that's only ever actually turned around zero programs. Remember, Bill Bill O'Brien's good stints as an offensive coordinator have been when he took over. He took over a Tom Brady led offense, and he took over 
Alabama. <laughs> Alabama Crimson Tide. And didn't even run his playbook in Alabama. Alabama has a playbook they run. He had to run their playbook. O'Brien never had a genuinely good offense in Houston. He he's just he's never actually had a good offense that he created, and yet he's so damn smart, and only he understands football or how to basically carry Tom Brady's jock around yeah. that that you can't have people meeting in uh, you can't have people meeting with these lowly assistant coaches who don't know what they're doing dude yeah. if uh, honestly like if you've if you're a football fan and you had to endure the last 20 years you know say from 2001 through call it 2019 the 19 years of Tom Brady and you had to endure that and all those Super Bowls and all the obnoxious Boston people and just everything that came with the Patriots, just the whole vibe, this is going to be your time. Like, the, it, it, your time is here. It's about to yeah. be here. That is about to be That is about to be a bad football team for, I, I, I would predict, unless they, look, unless they get the quarterback right like the Texans did with C.J. Stroud. You never know. Maybe they get the third pick it's, and they draft Drake May or something like that. But I think you are on, especially because they're in a division with the Dolphins and the Bills who look to be good for a while. Um, you are on the cusp of a very, very fun period where it's going to be great to point at the Patriots. Honestly, well, it's already – I mean, we've been able to do it with with uh, a lot of people that leave the Patriots organization where it, they have this attitude that infects them where like they all somehow feel like they understand or know secrets about the way the NFL uh, – how to win in the NFL that nobody else knows. And then they go elsewhere and they fall flat on their faces. Um, not everywhere – but a lot of it, well on the head coaching side uh, in a huge degree they fall flat on their faces um but it's not just them it's like it's like boston media like they feel <laughs> they talk almost in a way like or at least they used to like they just understand quarterback play in a way that's different than anybody else yeah. because they've they've seen it up close and they just know yeah. and, you know it, it, the same attitude that bill o'brien has is the same thing that a lot of bloggers in Boston would have had for years because they just felt like, well, huh, you peasants just don't understand actually good NFL football. Yeah. Like, no, you're you're all riding off of Bill Belichick and Tom Brady's jocks, okay? There, there was a good matchup between those two. I don't need to get into the argument about who is more uh, important for whom. They're a good matchup. You know, obviously, obviously Brady's had more success without Bill Belichick than vice versa. But whatever. That's neither here nor there. Um, yeah, it's a... I, I don't know though. It's it's gonna be. There's a part of me because I feel Sean. I've noticed this about the Boston fan base. People our age and older, they remember what it used to be like. I lived there. Not just a Patriots fan, <laughs> yeah. but a but a Boston sports fan. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of people our age and older have kind of looked at this younger generation of King Joffreys who like who just feel like it's their God given right to have championship sports teams. I feel like they look at him kind of side-eyed, like, you idiots, like, you spoiled little brats. You don't know what you have. Because they are. They're a bunch of little King Joffreys there. If you're, 20, if you're in your 20s in Boston, you grew up, like, thinking that, like, well, yeah, this is what following sports is all about. There's a parade every a par- year. Yeah, one of your teams is going to win a championship. Yep. That's just what happens, right? So that part of it, I kind of fear for... I kind of feel for our national security because I don't know what happens when mm. all of these all of these little spoiled brats have their their lollipops taken. Yeah, from them. yeah, yeah. All these disgruntled chowds just uh, in their early thirties. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I haven't heard that word in a it's long good word. time. It's a good word. <laughs> Chowd. Yep. Um, is it weird that when I just see a name like Will Lawing, one of O'Brien's minions, that I get triggered and I start thinking of John Perry and Tim Kelly and Mike I Devlin? I hated that offense. They're probably all really nice guys. I hated that offensive staff because they were all O'Brien yes-men that, that were brought oh, in and had followed O'Brien. him around everywhere. Yeah, they'd been to him. All they knew of the NFL was Bill O'Brien's way, you know? Yes. I don't like Will Long still looks like he's 22 years old. That's what always bothers me about Will Long. Yeah. Like not not in a way where I'm like uh like I'd be jealous of him that he still looks 22. Yeah. It, it it annoys me that he hasn't looked like I I want him to be like a grizzled older football coach by now. Yes. And yeah, yeah. Looks good. Um so No, 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 no. No, he doesn't look good. He looks annoyingly like No, he looks like a Okay. This is what I meant. Like there's 22 year olds. I'm like guys that look like they're 22 that I'm jealous of because they're good looking guys yeah. or whatever. No, he looks so 22 like he still doesn't know what he's talking about. Oh, okay. Like gotcha. he looks like a dumb young kid out of college. Got you. Like gotcha. you've been in the NFL since 2013 or so, uh, and yet now, but but you look like you still don't know what you're talking. I about. I stand yes. corrected. Yeah, the, the, he looks. Yeah, I I agree with you on that. Um, so as long as we're talking about New England, this rumor that Jason Lockhamfora put out there yesterday, um. Jason LaCanfora writes for the Washington Post. He's been on CBS. You guys know Jason LaCanfora. He gets almost nothing right when it comes to rumors. And Seth, as you pointed out earlier, he's over when it comes to rumors about the Texans' general manager post over the last several years. He had this to say in his kind of a notebook column that he does where he's just kind of bouncing around from team to team. And he's talking about the Patriots and what might happen with Belichick and says this. His departure, Belichick's departure, would open a GM spot in New England. I continue to hear the Texans GM Nick Casario would be open to a return to New England if such an arrangement could be worked out. Quote, he could go back, or quote, he'd go back there, trust me, one GM said. Um, and then that's it. That's, that's uh, just a blurb in there about Casario going back to New England. Seth, would you like to point out the history I, of Jason LaCamphora yeah, when it comes to Yeah, I don't know what I... I had there was one. For, there was one in 2014 that's not here anymore. But that was uh, he had reported that Rick Smith was going to be in 2000 December of 2014. He reported that Rick Smith was going to be moved to a different spot in the organization, and somebody else would take over GM duties. John McClain spoke to four sources who immediately refuted that. I remember I was doing the pregame show at the time, and I think I want to say Cal McNair came on during the pregame, or no, you were doing. I was, that might have been one of the years I was booted off the pregame show. The, Cal McNair like came on the pregame show and refuted that there was anything going really? on. Really? Back in 2014? Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. And, and Rick Smith would last three more years. Uh, December 7th of 2022, just last year, Jason LaCanfora said, there's been increasing chatter about the Texans making more front office changes after the season, and multiple executives I've spoken with believe Nick Casario is not nearly on as solid as footing as he was in the past. So, like... Jason Nola Conferma, as, as, as John McClain likes to call him, like, I, him reporting about Nick Casario means absolutely zero, zero to me. Zero to me, yeah. Not yeah. going to happen. Yeah. Well, it's, his reporting is all by talking to other executives who think they know what's going on. Multiple no, executives I've spoken with will believe that Nick is not on nearly as solid a footing. No, or like, feel that it could be a possibility yeah. or think that it might happen. Yeah. Yeah, and I would just say, just purely empirically, and, and, and look, I – you know, people have all kinds of different reasons why they make choices as to their careers and who they go work for. You know, family could factor into things like that. You know, where you live, quality of life, all those things. I'm just looking at it purely from a football standpoint. If you were a GM, why would you jump off of this now? 
to go work in New England. <laughs> you know, like what you, you this the Texans are are one of the four or five teams best set up to be really good for the next yeah. five to ten years, and New England I mean, I is could, not. I well, I mean, honestly, I could think of like seven different reasons, but it would like I don't want to add to the, the 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 various speculation or whatever. So I just think that this is something that in the in the past has been misreported by this one specific yeah. dude who I feel like he thinks he knows people who know the organization or something, but he's just always wrong. Jason Lockin fornication is, and it's, um, so I don't, yeah. You, you yeah. think there's football reasons why people might jump football off? Football reasons, personal reasons, like there's all kinds of reasons. I'm talking, yeah, and again, leave, no, no, yeah. no. And I, and I cited the personal reasons. I'm talking purely yeah. like you've got a quarterback, you've got a coach, like on the field, you're set up to be right. really, really good. Purely from I mean, that I mean, standpoint. Yeah, dude, I mean, who knows? Like, and again, like, I, I just don't want to add fuel to the speculation. There could be like 487,000 reasons that, like, a guy, like, at his previous place of employment, if he has a relationship with the right. owner, if he knows exactly what it'd be like, right. he'd be a guy that would have full autonomy as GM, like, something like that. Yeah. Those are all the unspoken things that lead to people to speculate and write stories like Jason Locke and Firma. Yeah. Um, all right. Payne and Pendergast with you on a, uh, on a football Friday. Um, we're going to circle back to the Texans and the Colts. Huge matchup. How big is this game? Where's it stack up? J.J. Watt also. J.J. Watt on the McAfee show earlier this week, as long as we're taking trips down memory lane, he had some pretty interesting things to say when he was asked about Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift when it comes to overexposure. And we'll hear from J.J. Watt as well. Headlines, top of the hour. That is next. It's a Tackus Fiber Internet Football Friday on Sports Radio 610. Live from the Twin Peaks studios, here's Payne and Pendergast. I think it's safe to say this is the this is the biggest game since the Kansas City playoff game, the game that the Texans built a 24-0 lead and then proceeded to pee down their leg for the rest of the afternoon and get outscored 51-7 for the rest of the yeah, game. Yeah, that was... <laughs> Was it 24 nothing? 24 nothing. 24 Seth. Oh, I, so there's cocky. a lot of things that get scattered in my brain. I can I know, recite I know, that game chapter verse for you. No, I remember because we were watching at the we had done the pregame show at the Rustic, yep. right? Yep. And I remember I watched for a little bit at the Rustic, and then I was like, "Well, <laughs> I'm just gonna I'm gonna drive home for the second half. Nothing to see here." And I think by the time I got home, uh, they, they'd relinquished their lead. They were it losing at halftime. They 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 were they yeah. were twenty four nothing in the second quarter, and they were losing twenty eight twenty four at the half. It was a rough listen. Sorry, Vandy. It was, uh, <laughs> it was a... <laughs> Not your fault. Get out! Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but that's, a you know, going into that game, look, that was a team that won the division, and you had Deshaun Watson at quarterback. And this is, a, this is not as formidable an opponent, the Colts in 2023, as the Chiefs were in 2019. The Chiefs went on to win the Super Bowl that year. Um. But I, boy, I just feel like this team is way better equipped to deal with what that team in 2019 dealt with. I feel like this team is better equipped to deal with it in terms of the head coach. I don't know about weaponry, you know, but defensively, I think this team is better built to to go into Indianapolis and get the job done than that yeah, team yeah, was yeah, in, yeah. in 2019. I like, do, yeah, I don't know. I mean, if they were playing that year's Chiefs, who knows? But as far as this actual matchup, I guess just yeah. trust factor in these guys. You know, like I right, like I, right. I like I, if they get up twenty four nothing in this game, well, they lose in the lead. Well, you got to remember, it was a different spot in that team's. Like I don't know, I don't know if the the comparison is a tough one because that was a team that you know had their franchise, the Texans team had their franchise quarterback, um, had you know, a number of stars on that team, 
and that you thought, okay, well, let's let's see what they can do, and they just completely and totally collapsed. Like if somehow this, you know, if this Texans team were playing the a team equivalent to the Chiefs, if they were playing the 49ers in the last game of the season or something, and we're in this situation somehow, um, then and they got blown out. I just wouldn't be as distraught over it because this team's trajectory is just they're just ramping up. Yeah. Whereas that 2019 team was like, all right, what do you what do you got here? Oh, your defense is atrocious. And then and then what we didn't know at the time was that Bill O'Brien would take that atrocious defense and let a couple of its best players leave and do almost absolutely nothing to try to improve the defense. Yeah. I guess um, you made this point about D'Amico. Is it especially for a first year defensive head coach? Game management has been one of the strengths of this team, I think. There have been decisions he's made during the season that people have disagreed with, probably. You know, like settling for a 58-yard field goal against the Jags with a backup kicker. Yeah. But I, uh, there, there were no I, – I can't think of a single decision D'Amico's made where there hasn't been an explanation that I haven't been willing to listen to. You know what I mean? I think the biggest, the most – I guess the most controversial, if you want to call it controversial decisions, were the ones – the one that you just mentioned. I think Bobby Slowick – passing at the end of the Bengals game when they could have just run the clock out. They tried to they tr- they tried to pass it. A first down would have won the game for you effectively there, and it was intercepted. You know, that's that's a game management issue. I don't know if you blame that specifically on D'Amico or Bobby Slowick or what have you. Um, I feel like there was at least one other thing. Everybody texts in like, the most egregiously bad thing in your eyes that, that D'Amico did, but they've like not a single one has been anything like Various, various, honestly, flubs that even guys like Andy Reid or Bill Belichick have made at the ends of games. They've really, like, it's been a very, very clean game management uh, uh, slate for the Texans this year. Yeah, and, and, and the reason I bring that up is in that Kansas City game, is that Bill O'Brien called for a fake punt when things were at their worst. Like when, the, yeah. when, 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 every, when all the bleep was rolling downhill on the Texans, he called for a fake punt to an injured Justin Reid. Like, he had Justin Reed running the football with a bum shoulder. Justin Reed, a safety, running yeah. the football with a, with a bum a, shoulder. I have a hard time with that because I also, like, I don't know. You need to go back and think about times like, okay, Sean Payton doing the onside kick first uh, at the beginning of the um, Super Bowl. You know, was that, I think in hindsight, you would have thought that was just overly aggressive and dumb. But against the, especially when you might be outmatched against your opponent, that's, that's, Kind of in the the playbook, isn't it? I think when you're you just given up three consecutive touchdowns, it feels like a panic move. Like, a, but, like the, the, what, the house maybe, is burning but, to the ground, you know. But shouldn't they maybe have been panicking? <laughs> like, yeah, like a, there are times where, like, okay, it's okay to pan- you should be panicking. Not if you're the head coach, and that's my point. Yeah. Like, I like that's yeah. my point is I and 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 I know and I know the comparison of 2019 Texans to 2023 Texans is imperfect. But my overall yeah. point with this is. I feel like in retrospect, certainly in retrospect, and especially coming off a segment where we just talked about Bill O'Brien, the, I, f- I feel like D'Amico Ryans is kind of made for this sort of game as a head coach. Like if they yeah. get down a couple touchdowns, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't think he's, I don't think he's going to be panicking. I think his sideline demeanor is going to be good. I, I think we couldn't always say that about Bill O'Brien. I feel like we got the right guy for this situation. You know what makes me nervous about that though? I, just even you invoking that moment was that in the Browns game. And it, or isn't the Titans? The the trick plays that the Texans tried 
because C.J. Stroud was out and you're trying to manufacture some things were some of the worst things that Case Keenum did, actually, in that mm-hmm. two-game stretch. The trick plays did not work out well at all. Yeah. Um, but like Otherwise, I think they did as a good a job as they could have hoped to. Yeah. So, yeah, I, yeah, I hope for this game especially where you're, you're, you're right. It's not, it's not nearly the mismatch between teams that it was against the Chiefs in 2019. Um, there's, there shouldn't necessarily be as much need for trickery. Yep. Cannery. Although... I'm still waiting for my flea flicker. Yeah, I, I, I didn't want to bring it up. <laughs> you are. Hell, Bobby Sloak. I feel like Bobby Sloak's like trying to personally slight you're me. You're still waiting it's a, on it. It's, a, it's, a, it's guaranteed, man. It always How works. many times do you see a flea flicker not work out? Never. Works. That's the answer. It's never once not worked out in the history Should of football. Run it every play. <laughs> run a flea flicker every play. <laughs> so it stops working. Yep. Yeah. Um, J.J. Watt, it was interesting on McAfee this week. J.J. Watt, they, they got talking about Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey, as long as we're talking about the Chiefs a little bit here, um, and about the overexposure. And, and Travis Kelsey has kind of turned into what J.J. Watt was a few years ago. Like, it's hard to go through a commercial break of an NFL game and have Travis yeah. Kelsey not pop up on it's, speaking for something in that break. It's a, I can imagine what Chiefs fans are feeling where it's not like Taylor Swift is just – like you've got the Taylor Swift where people want to call her a Yoko Ono or whatever, which I I feel is a huge, huge insult. Like, and even if you hate Taylor Swift, like, look, she made herself into a music star where Yoko Ono was just jumping on and calling Mary herself John a Lennon, singer. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> oh no, she was already a performance artist. Okay, okay, great. Um, so like, I, that's not a good comparison, but people are treating her as like part of the problem. But I mean, Travis Kelsey in general, it's Taylor Swift. It's all of the extra endorsements that he's doing. It's his podcast. They got to feel like that's a huge part of just like, okay, this team got too, their, their noggins got too big. You know, Pat Mahomes does that quarterback series. Like Pat Mahomes maybe started to feel himself a little too much. His, his body language on the sideline, you pointed this out yesterday, has been almost like he seems like a pouty rich kid. He's a petulant on the little kid. Games. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, it's a, there are bad vibes up there in Kansas City. It's just, it's just awful. Yeah, it's awful. That's to a shame, see, man. It's, it's a shame. Really, yeah. it really is a shame. Here was JJ Watt. He because JJ Watt can relate to the Travis Kelsey stuff, obviously, because he's gone through his arc of overexposure. Here's Watt on getting his first opportunities. For me, especially as a defensive lineman and defensive guy in general. There weren't a lot of defensive guys getting national commercials. There weren't a lot of defensive guys getting some of the opportunities that I had. So we were kind of navigating these waters and trying to figure it out. And I mean, people are throwing absurd amounts of money at you for commercial opportunities, for endorsements, for things. And you've never experienced it all before. And you're you're a small town kid from Wisconsin. Like, I'm literally looking at these numbers and I'm thinking about my buddy back home who's a plumber. And I'm like, that guy would work 10 years for this number. Why would I not do it for this two hours? Hi, I'm JJ. (laughs) 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 I'm JJ. Um, you know the the uh, the barstool guys, the pardon my take guys, were I think maybe part of the big awakening for JJ back. Oh, does he talk about that? Yeah, yeah, he alludes to it here. Let's get to that. And then it went from getting all those opportunities to the world hating him for having all those opportunities. I'm reading everything. And now all of a sudden people are like, I'm sick of this guy. I want him off. And I don't, I don't know how to emotionally and properly handle that. So I'm starting to figure out like, oh man, the world hates me. Like they don't like me. Yeah. Uh, so I got to back this down. And then obviously we had a whole thing with, you know, Big Cat and Barstool and those guys start, which again, I will always say part of that is absolutely justified. Like I, I was, I was a little bit too 
Captain America. I was a little bit too like try and be perfect and try and do everything exactly the right way. And I did need to be checked a little bit on that. And I do appreciate that. Did it maybe go a little bit too far? Maybe, but I consciously, I consciously brought it back. I consciously reeled it back and said like, okay, I gotta, I gotta reanalyze this. I gotta refigure all this out. The interesting thing with, with JJ, Seth and the, the reeling it back in, it kind of, it kind of coincided with his body breaking down. You know what I mean? Like it would have been interesting. Like he, he was almost forced to kind of go off the grid for a while because he played three games one year and he played five games the next year. Yeah. And then he's in the building rehabbing all the time and he's, he's kind of invisible. And I, I wonder if that factored in at all. You know what I mean? The optics of doing a ton of commercials while you're rehabbing a back and a knee and everything else. Yeah. Was it kind yeah. of thrust on him? And- and there's time to kind of reflect on everything, and yeah. you get your you get, you got to take your your ego takes a battering in a lot of ways. Yeah. So yeah, that that might have been part of it. The yeah, and the like. The, I, I think the other thing was part of him putting himself out there was meant that he was very active on social media, and when you're very active on social media. Uh, no matter how successful you are, I don't care if you're Mother Teresa. If you're active on social media, you're going to have haters, you know. And like, so you have to come full force with that and deal with all of that part. But the like the the part of my take, guys, like their 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 followers were so viciously attacking him all the time that it it when he decided to meet that head on and he went on and did that podcast with them. They did he did a podcast with them because the benefits were going to go to charity. Um which is a really good move by pardon my take. I, I think that was where like maybe he started to see things more clearly about just how people might perceive him the way they were perceiving him and everything and that maybe it wasn't like he didn't feel as like a genuine reflection of himself. So, yeah, yeah, there's all those things coming together. The tamping it back was noticeable for sure. Like he was yeah. it was very noticeable. Last one from JJ. He does point out Nobody's turning down the money, okay? Overexposure and putting yourself out there can certainly make yourself vulnerable. But as long as you're being real and being who you are, let's be honest, 99.99% of the people ain't turned down those checks, ain't turned down those endorsements, ain't turned down those opportunities. Wow, so. yeah. Uh, hey, JJ. That was awesome, bro. Yeah, yeah that was sick. That was the, uh, hey, JJ. That was what I like. <laughs> I like- JJ would, well, because it was funny, because it was, oh, JJ, like it was, if JJ did something where it showed he was working out, people would say like, uh, hey, JJ, you know, you could have been, you, you could have been feeding homeless people while you were working out there or whatever. Uh, they would just turn anything he did into a negative. Um, it was, <laughs> and he talked about how he didn't quite get that at first. And then he started to realize like, oh, okay, that's, that's pretty funny. I just like the end where the, where McAfee and his minions, like they all just yeah. go crazy over the answer. Like I, I cut it off. They went for like 15. That was amazing. That was a great answer, JJ. Cause it, cause that, those three cuts were basically one long answer that we cut into yeah. three pieces. Yeah. I like the, well, I think it was the mullet dude who said that was sick. Ben, Ben, play the very, very end, like the last five seconds. Uh, hey, JJ. That was awesome, bro. Yeah, yeah that was sick. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah, that sick. Was sick. That was a <laughs> sick answer, bro. <laughs> that's why. No, I'm telling you, man. That's why guys love going on that show. They I know. Make it fun. I know. They're not like they're not gonna they're not gonna sit there and ask you. We're like, so what's it like playing for a coach? That's a great who doesn't man. think you can actually throw a football that well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Just, it's just having fun. It's a great. And they man. and they give that yes, yes, yeah. Oh my God! You're so oh, it endorphins. oh I yeah. gotta go change my pants. It's oh. like getting a like on Facebook for something. Yeah, like oh my God, they like me. Mm-hmm. Um, JJ did tweet this yesterday. I felt a little insulted. Just did 45 minutes on the elliptical for the first time ever. 
I respect everyone who works out in whatever capacity you work out. However you choose to work is better than not working out at all, always. But the elliptical is the single most boring workout I've done in my life. Yeah, he's, uh, he's still in that mode where if you don't, feel like you're gonna puke or die afterwards then he didn't actually work out yeah he's got a it, you know at some point he'll come to the realization of the, the 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 enjoyment you can get out of long slow uh long slow relatively low heart rate exercise find yeah. something to watch while you're doing it although <laughs> although i would say jj is probably one of those guys seth you t- you tell me but I, I my suggestion to jj would be to do what i do on the elliptical and find something that's to stream that's about as long as what your workout is, like an episode of something. I go when I do yeah. the elliptical, I do thirty minutes. So I find something, either a podcast to listen to, but more often something yeah. to watch on my phone to to distract me while I'm while I'm doing the the elliptical. It's JJ JJ. Let me ask. This is my question. JJ strikes me as somebody who has the philosophy: if you can watch and absorb a TV show while you're working yeah. out, then it's not a real workout. Right? Yeah. Exactly. That's yeah. Which is the whole. If you want to be in like zone two cardio, that's where you're like you know sixty or seventy percent of your max heart rate. That's actually like a nice, comfortable exertion level where you can actually enjoy, like have a conversation or whatever. You get a lot of benefits from that, but you never want to believe it when you come from a sport that's all about intervals and high intensity because your idea of working out is nothing but like it's got to feel like a CrossFit workout or something. Uh, As you get older... As you get older, that gets dumber and dumber. Uh, now, if that's what you're into, that's what you're into, and that's fine. But it, like for JJ's, had a bunch of injuries and everything. Um, I've talked to him about this sometimes, like when I run into him. Like, he, there's like a two or three year period when you're done playing where you still feel like you need to, uh, you know, be in a sneaker commercial every every time you work out. Eh, I everybody's different. I just got to a point where I'm like, this is dumb. This is just stupid. Yeah. And now whenever anybody tries to get me to do anything um like high high intensity or something and they'll start like telling me all about the joys of it i'm like no 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 i i've lived that life you can go die i am not i'm not going on your little fantasy where you can pretend you're in a reebok commercial <laughs> yeah, like i felt that. like i was being shamed a little bit i was being elliptic elliptical shamed by jj a little bit uh I'm gonna, I'm sorry my workout's him. so boring some JJ. research on uh yeah okay <laughs> Uh, we've got to, we got a couple texts here. You pose a question to the audience. Uh, hey, what were some things, some decisions that maybe we were critical of that uh, D'Amico made this year? Because we, as you pointed out, Seth, he's been amazing with game management this year for a rookie head coach, especially one that comes from the defensive side of the football. This is a good one, actually, and I don't know if this this is this falls under Slowick, but everything falls under D'Amico allowing the alternating QBs during the Browns game. Putting in Case yeah. for one series and Davis for a few plays and then Case again and back and forth and yo-yoing That's back what, and forth. You know, when CJ had mentioned that he felt like when he was watching on TV that there were some – when the offense had had some good plays and they were called back by penalties, he felt like guys were hanging their heads. I went back and watched the two plays that would have been relevant in that Browns game where Damian Pierce and Devin Singletary both had really nice plays that were called back by, uh, by penalties. And I didn't – I didn't really see evidence of it. It just looked like a normal offensive lineman that's not stoked about getting a penalty. But it was also one of those plays was when the play was called back for a hold uh, after the Devin Singletary run. And that was when they decided to insert Davis Mills. And I wonder if CJ watching it was kind of like a, which like saw that um, the offensive lineman who got called, I want to say it was Dieter, like maybe like he oh no Scruggs like maybe he wanted to like he would have wanted to say something to, to Scruggs 
And then they come up to the next shot they show that isn't a replay is like Davis Mills coming up to the line. And everything just felt weird. It felt really, really weird and wrong. Yeah, that that was a strange moment. There's something about concerning Davis Mills in that moment, like right after a penalty too. Um, yeah, I, I'd say that's a fair criticism yeah, of Miko. I think so too. I think so too.